This is a free download from the BBC. For more information, go to bbc.co.uk slash podcasts. Hello and a warm welcome to GMTV's new podcast. Sit on the sofa with us and share your story of misfortune and heartache. We'll cry, but we'll laugh at the same time. And we'll have one direction. On the show today, we'll meet Ophelia. Her stomach fell open and her intestines fell out. We'll also hear from Ken. His bowels used to drop when he was eight years old and his mum had to push them back up. And we'll hear reporter Justin Dealey trying to convince us that ghosts are real. He's got Ev! But first, here's Wurzel talking about something. Well done, mate. That's the best introduction you've ever written. You like Wurzel on on Monday? Yeah. What we're doing that's unique is we're playing records today. We're playing records, records, actual little bits of plastic. That's what we're doing. How exciting is that, Wurzel? Very. It's good, isn't it? Oh, wow. What's, what's sad, I think, is that we're having to make such a big thing about playing records. That it's, uh, you know, it's a rare... No-one plays records these days. Well, you don't need to play records if you're going to be doing what I'm doing. What, what are you doing, Wurzel? I'm going to be manning a turnstile ready for Chesham's playoff game against St Albans. Hey, manning a turnstile. Does it, does it need much manning? Yeah, because you've got to grab money at the same time. Oh, I see. So you're a money taker. Does, does any of that money accidentally find its way into your own pocket, Wurzel? No, 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 no. Don't do things like that. No, of course not. It's, it's what they call doing it for love. Doing it for love. So what, what result are you hoping for today? Chesham for St Albans too. <laughs> but what result are you really hoping for today? That. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. And then we shall get promoted to the Blue Square Southport, please. I've, I've, I, now, listen, I've got no idea what you're talking about, but I can hear the passion in your voice. Absolutely. Do you play records at all, Wurzel? I used to. Oh. You don't do but, it anymore? Uh, well... When you get to 78, you don't do things like that. 78? Well, that's a, um, the speed of a record. 78, there's a joke well, in there somewhere. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> ah, I see. Me and a record do well in hand in hand. Oh, I've got a, a, a controversial idea, Wurzel. Can I, can I put it to you? Go on. I, I, I've been inspired by, um, well, I think we should get rid of bank holidays. Why? Well, why do we have them? So you don't have so many days to go to work. Exactly. Do you think that's really a good example to set to the kids? Well, it ain't a bad idea, not when you consider how many holidays them and teachers get. Uh, uh, well, ex- exactly. I think, this is my theory, bank holiday is so that banks can have a holiday, right? Banks. We all know about bankers. That's right, yeah. But the bankers ruined... They, they ruined this country by snorting cocaine off of the back of hookers' d- knees. Oh, oh. I won't say they snorted cocaine off the back of who could. They didn't need no because they had plenty of their own, didn't they? Well, exactly. That... You, take, you take old Freddie Goodwin and one or two more. Yes, I'm not, for example, I just have to say for legal reasons, we're not suggesting for any moment that Freddie Goodwin may have uh, indulged in the activities we've just described. Well, we're, talking right, about, but... we're talking about the faceless bankers who ruined this country. And then I we go and give them a load of holidays. No, 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 no. Let's get... What's the point? What is the... Is anybody actually doing anything today worthwhile, apart from those people running the marathon and making a load of money for charity? Is anybody, Wurzel, doing anything worthwhile? Well, I shall be. No, you're not. You're watching a turnstile for a football match that's doomed. (laughs) Well, hopefully it ain't. Wurzel, have a good day. I hope your team win. 
That brilliant piece of genuine audio was taken from our Bank Holiday Vinyl Monday. Ah, it was a brilliant... Wasn't it brilliant, It was though, brilliant. Ian? And it we, was just me and you. It was. There was no squares. No. No suits. No. No, hey, hi, Kath. Hi, it yeah. was just me and you doing what we do best, and that's making great radio. Love. Oh. Great, uh, lovely radio. radio. Lovely love radio. Love, love radio, love, love radio, us. Radio, what were you doing on Monday? Sleeping. Oh. Didn't even bother listening to a bit of it. I heard a bit. Then I went back to sleeping. We, we were loving. Anyway, all we did was um, not play by the rules no. and play old vinyl. Mm. We found this little gem. Now, this is crackly. Rug your rave, the name starting now. I'm H-A-P-P-Y. I'm H-A-P-P-Y. I know I am. I'm sure I am. I'm H-A-P-P-Y. Where? H-A-P-P-Y. Oh, it's my mum and dad. Is it really? Yeah. Lovely. It's my mum and dad. I've known this for years. I found this the other day. We burst into that top song. My mum so doesn't want to be part of it. And then my little sister, well, my big sister, is in there. She's a baby. Oh, yeah, go and get the baby. Go and get the baby. Oh, yeah, go and get the baby. <laughs> She's outside. Wait one minute, wait one minute. We're just coming now with our baby. Oh, it's my dad. Oh, he's dead common, my dad. Sing to Ellen. What my dad is thinking, this is costing me five bob. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want him to say I thought it was finished? And then it ends! Oh, you'll get a smack oh, in the ear roll. Wonderful. Isn't that? Oh, I've not heard that for years. That's my mum and dad in 1970. I want to hear that. It's good. Being the podcast cast. Yeah. Oh, I never listened. <laughs> oh, it's they, they, they should bring back record booths. They did. Jack from the White Stripes. Yeah. Um, and rec- National Record Shop Day in America um, took a record booth into a record shop. That's so him. But they were the days before karaoke, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, and tape recorders. Okay. Didn't have tape recorders. Anyway, it's my mum and dad. It was nice. BBC Three Counties Radio. <laughs> I caught you. What are you doing in there, you two? What? Nothing. You do, you're, just, you're doing synchronised clapping. You're not watching Good Morning, This Is Britain again, no, are you? No, no, no. Are you sure? Yes. Why are you, why are yes, you fiddling yes. with the TV controller? I'm not, not, not. You are, are, are. You get me doing it now. I'm going to play a song from a compact disc. We had such fun playing records yesterday, I've decided not to bring any in. Oh. Oh, how do, how do I, I can hear the Charlotte woman from Good Morning, This Is Britain. Turn it off! She is brilliant, though, isn't she? She's great. Turn it off. She's they, a vicar's daughter. They cover such interesting things. Yeah. There's, there's Ben Shepard. Shepard. His tie. Right, OK. I'm, right, you, you carry on watching He's that. Aged. Right, OK, go away. So, this is my boys, my eldest... Listen, this is my eldest boys... He has got one of those faces. Oh, this is my eldest boys' fa- favourite... She does look lovely. This though. is my eldest boys' oh, sorry, sorry, favourite new song. It's by Paul Revere and the Raiders. Heard of those? No. I know Paul Revere is the one who said, The English are coming! Yeah, well, they're, then, then he's they're... Still, he's still recording, is he? They were also a band <laughs> in the 60s who would dress up 
as soldiers from the war, that war of independence. The red, the red coats. They would dress up like that. They're in blue coats here. All oh, right. And they so would do synchronized. Red coats were the baddies to them, of course. Yeah. Towards goodies. Okay, so they would do synchronized dancing. Anyway, they were huge in America they in the sound 60s. Great. Oh, for goodness' sakes. They were huge in America in the 60s. They never had a hit over here. Oh. But then I was playing... Because of their controversial name. Oh, let me finish the story! So I was playing this in the car yesterday when I took the boys to the pirate park. And the pirate park? Where's the pirate park? It was near where we live. There's a pirate ship there. Really? Yeah, a pirate flag. Oh, that's cool. This is one of my favourite, favourite things of being a dad. Telling off kids that are older than my kids. Oh, I love it. You do are you that? Allowed? Yeah, yeah, you are. When they're throwing sand at your boys, and your boys are four and two, and those kids are seven and six, you say, Oi, lads, stop that now. <gasps> it's so exciting. What if their parents are to say? Oh, well, they I'd make should sure, be stepping in already. I'd make sure their parents aren't nearby. You're <laughs> a bully. No, I'm not a bully. I just like, um, I, I am a bully. Anyway, so then we get home, and my... Um, oh, it's 3-0, it says, <gasps> on the, get on the telly. My eldest is doing, um, is painting a drain. And I notice he's singing this song as he's painting. Shall we? Um, yeah. It's a really good... Right, OK. Do it, and then... Do I have to what? pretend to paint a drain? No, listen, we'll do this again. So he had, had you been playing him this song and right. then he okay. was singing it? So I took my boys, just enthusiastic at the end. So, yeah. great rehearsal, guys, let's go for one. I took my boys to the pirate park yesterday. Excellent. One of the great things I'm best at is uh, telling off kids that are slightly older than mine. That are not yours. That are not mine. Anyway, uh, I was playing this album, it's Paul Revere and the Raiders. Heard of them? No, you won't have. They were yes, huge. They were in big in the coats. 60s. They were Blue huge coats. in the... But we were red coats or something. Yeah. Or something. They're huge in the six. Philistines. This is my eldest boy's favourite song. Thank you. Imagine a four-year-old singing this. This world ain't got no room for narrow-minded people. Now you better get ready because the change is about to come. If you got a good some good love, you know you better share it. He didn't sing that bit. <laughs> Sophie Khan, a solicitor, advocate and legal director of a charity called the Police Action Centre, which provides independent advice in cases of police misconduct. Morning, Sophie. Well, it, it, it's a good idea, isn't it, for the police to have cameras? Morning, Ian. Um, I don't think it's a, a great idea for frontline officers to have cameras. Definitely firearms officers... Um, specific incidences, maybe domestic violence, a specific operation, then definitely have a camera there so there is some kind of oversight as to what the officer is doing. But not as frontline policing, not every officer to have cameras because we do have to have, you know, policing by consent, we do have to have um, police officers trusting the uh, the police without having the camera there to back up their version of events. But the police have, have, have proved quite a lot over the past few years that, that some of them cannot be trusted and, and therefore we need some form of uh, uh, evidence for us as citizens, don't we? But those officers shouldn't be in the force. But they are. But they should be removed but or they should be trained in a way so they are able to do their job properly and so there is trust between the community and those officers. But we quite often don't know they're in the force because we have no evidence to back them up. Members of the public who, who believe they have been wronged by the police often aren't believed. Uh, and so these, these corrupt and rogue police officers, rogue is a better word, can get away with it. These cameras would surely help eradicate those rogue officers. But how would a rogue officer 
um, be identified by um, wearing a camera, he would be able to or she would be able to switch it on and off ah. at will. It, it doesn't help the situation. Well, that's the, main... the flaw with the system, and so therefore you, you, you're, you're probably agreeing with me, they should be on all the time. It can't be on all the time because um, they don't have a battery life of that long, and also we don't want um, CCTV... Um, the police you know, carrying a CCTV camera on them all, all day. But what we want is... I'd, I'd, I would. I wouldn't mind that. Hearing some of the stories we've heard over the past 20 years, I'd love it if the police... Uh, the, the battery isn't an issue. Of course, that can be resolved. But, but I would love the police to be, to be um, constantly uh, filming so that they would be held to account, as would members of the public. The way to do that is to have highly trained officers who are, are able to engage with the community and have the respect of the community. And that way, there will be proper policing in Bedfordshire and other areas. And, and also, there will be that trust that the, you know, the community need from their police. Without that, you know, the camera is not the answer. Um, they, you know, the use of, you know, use of a camera is not the answer to you know, the issues that underline the problems that you have with the Sophie, police today. I naively assumed I'm a white, middle-aged, middle-class guy that has I never really been bothered by the police. I always naively assumed that they were full of upstanding men and women who respected the law, who respected people, uh, and uh, carried on their business in a, in a proper way. Well, reading the papers over the past couple of years, it turns out that lots of them aren't respectable. There are rogue police officers, and it's all well and good saying they shouldn't be in the police force, but they are. So we need some way to get back public trust in the police. And, and just saying, well, let's get all the dodgy ones out, that ain't going to cut it with a lot of people, is it? Well, we have to get the dodgy ones out. It has to but be... we can't catch the dodgy ones because it's... they're so clever. It's not about you catching them or me catching them. It's about their employer, the police force, catching them. Because similar to doctors, lawyers and accountants, we have very strong you know, regulators if we step outside the line, we are then, you know, before the regulator. The same thing has to happen with police officers because of the amount of information... But why doesn't it happen now? Why doesn't it happen now? Well, it is... There's there's a movement. There's a college of police... Too slow, too slow. Why isn't it happening now? Because it, it takes time. Well, how long do we give them? The police have been around for, what, 130 years or something like that. It, 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 they've had that long to sort it out and they've not got it right. Why well, should we give them any more time? They've only recently set up the College of Policing. It was only set up last year. So that's going to take time to embed. And it's only after that that we're going to really see a different approach to policing, a different training approach. I think it's going to be very similar well, to that's the going to take. That means, Sophie, it's, it, it, it could, could take 30 years for it to filter through the system, to get oh, rid of the, the police that are dodgy now. And for those people who, who um, have, have lost people in police custody, those people who've been uh, beaten up by police, those people who've had the police lie about them, 30 years just isn't quick enough. I don't think it's going to take 30 years because already they're changing the the training and selection process of the members of the public who want to join the police. So there's different ways that they're tackling the issue, but the issue is being tackled, so it becomes a bit more professional and more regulated, and so when someone does make a mistake, they're, they're gone. Well, how long is that going to take to work? And is that going to bring back the people that, that have been lost, that, that, according to their families, uh, by corrupt police officers? Is that going to, you know, change... Is that going to change anything? It's going to change the way that the police engage with the public. It's going to change the way that I engage with the, uh, with the police. And also, I think, you know, lessons need to be learned, and if they're not learned, 
then that's uh, you know something for the police. But lessons, are, Sophie, lessons haven't been learned. You go to Hillsborough, you go to Plebgate, you go to all of these stories. The police have got it wrong. And listen, I, I'm a big fan of the police. I think they get it right the majority of the time. But when they get it wrong, they get it spectacularly wrong, and they cover each other's backs and they lie. They haven't learned. And th- there will be people listening to this going, they have had long enough to sort this out. They haven't got it right now. Let's let them all have cameras. Let them be on all the time. Let's have the police held accountable. The camera's not the answer. We can't have it on all the time. There's no um, the retention of the the video. There's, it's not possible to have Sophie, um, that, that, that's a te- hours that's, the retention. Well, it wouldn't be 24 hours, would it? It'll be, the, it'll be eight hours, the length of their police shift, which is, is completely doable. No, I don't think it well, is. It, well, it is. If you go and on the, Amazon, you'll find a camera that can do the it. Retention fees will already cost millions and millions of pounds. The cost shouldn't be a factor in stopping the protection of the public. It won't protect the public. It won't protect anybody. It will just be a total waste of money. Private companies making money out of the public funds. It, it's something I've looked into, and it's something I, I'm not convinced about. But why yes, don't you think? Why don't you think? Arm, why don't you think? It, well, the, the, the firearm police in Bedfordshire won't be uh, won't have the cameras. Why don't you think it will protect them if if the cameras well, they, are they on? Should have the cameras the, because well, they that's don't. a specific operation. If the cameras are on all the time. It will protect the police officers because apparently in the, the, the studies it's calmed down members of the public when they go, Oi, son, look, I've got a camera. And surely it will protect the, uh, the members of the public if the police are being a bit gobby, a bit lippy, or indeed give them a wallop. Because it, it will be stop possible, them doing it. It won't be possible to have the camera on all the time. So therefore Why, why do you keep to... saying that? Because it's not possible. Why? It, it is not... It is not um, it's within... Yeah, the the structure of how the camera is set up, it cannot be on all the time. OK, they have two cameras. When one finishes, the other one takes over automatically. Forget the technical aspects of the camera not being able to be on for more than four or five hours. You have to look at the technical aspects. OK, well, I've given you a solution. I've given you a simple solution. Before you forward to a different argument. Well, then I've given... Sophie, I've given you a simple solution. You have two cameras, they're four hours each. When one stops, the other one automatically kicks in. So that, 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 that's not a problem. It's not the way I want policing in this country okay, to be. OK, well, we've I got past the technicals. Why? I want it to be between the members of the public and the police officer. I want them to have trust towards their police. They don't know, Sophie. I speak yes, to people... Yes, but I want that to happen. But and that's I want it... where the money and that's where the attention should be going, not towards cameras. I want it to happen, but it, it, it isn't, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. Well, it has to be looked at then. It it's being looked, looked at, at, Sophie. It's being looked at. Cameras are not the answer. Cameras what is what is the answer. answer then? How do we build up the trust? We've got thirty seconds. You keep saying cameras are not the answer to building up trust between the public and the police. A situation which is getting worse. It, so how do you do it? A further, how further do, barrier. How further, do you do it? Further barrier by how having do, a camera there. How do you do it then? You, we have to have public engagement with the with the police and the. Or what, the, coppers turning up at youth centres and and uh, things like that. Going, or, hey guys, we're just events, like you. Or events where they are oh. explaining what how they're policing their community. They do, and no one no one trusts them. They turn up, and people the people don't trust them. No, I don't think it's at that level. It is, so, Sophie. I talk to people every other day, where. It, they don't trust them. We speak. To, we have people in this morning who don't trust the police. I understand that, but that has to be. There has to be um, money and uh, resources spent on that rather than on cameras. So you you would rather spend the money on the police turning up at carnivals and going to youth centres? Not carnivals. Structured events where there is mm. engagement regarding how they are policing their their community and what the public want from their police in that community. 
And that's when, there, was a, there was an incident recently uh, where the police held held an evening because a young there was accusations that a young autistic lad had been roughed up by the police. Uh, the police turned up uh, at an evening supposedly to calm things down. It made situations worse because there was. I'm that... not talking about that. I'm not talking about after the event issues. I'm talking about before. Before the event. Before the event. Where before they rough are, up someone. Where there is the community wants to speak to their local police, and that that needs to be you know regular meetings. What we want from our police service, like a service, what do we want? You go to a solicitor and ask them, I need help with X. It's the same kind of situation. And you tell the police, we need help with X. And then they provide that service. Sophie, thank you very much for your time. Let's put that out there. Sophie Khan, uh, solicitor, legal director of a charity called the Police Action Centre. She thinks that, uh, that cameras are not the way forward, that the way forward is to, uh, to, to build up more trust by having, you know, the police at events and stuff. I'm not convinced. <laughs> this week... Add echo and insert spooky voice. There was a lot of mysterious banging noises in the radio station. We both did that at the same time. Spooky. We're friends. Cows literally cacked her pants. I thought it was a person playing tricks. She thought it was an axeman. Here's how the events unfolded. There are spooky going-ons. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? What on earth is going on here? There are bangs, there are screams. This is not... Um, OK, I'll go and have a look. BBC Three Counties News and Sports. The next full bulletin is at seven. Simon, what's all the banging? All the what, eh? Can you not hear the banging? No. Oh, we get, really? Because we're hearing loads of... Oh, really? Of, there's loads of banging well, I'm cocooned down away in my, you know, underground bunker here. Oh, but... yeah, of course. Well, if you hear any and mm. you can find it sourced, do let us know, because it's very, very loud. It sounded like it was coming from your area. Oh, right. It's not Justin trying to escape, is it? Ah, uh, that'll be it. That'll be it. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. Banter. Speaking of banter, girls... Um, you thought you could uh, scare me during the <laughs> news there. Sorry? What? Sorry. You thought you could scare me during the news there, and I think you'll find that failed pretty miserably. Well, you did go arg. Isn't that normally what people do when they're scared? Yeah, when they're pretending to be scared. Oh, right, OK. Good Firstly, pretending. Firstly, we didn't set, set out to scare you. But Hang on a minute. Hiding, hiding behind a door with a video no. camera, a VHS video camera filming me. Firstly, we did go out to investigate the banging. Yes. Um, but we couldn't... We, we could hear it, but we thought, shall we follow it? And then we thought, no, let's make Ian jump, because he'll come out during the news. He's so predictable. There's so no show without punch. He'll be straight there. out there. We stood there, we hit wreck, <sighs> and waited. And that's, that, that's clever, is it? Well, it's the best thing I've done today. Yeah. <laughs> this is the best thing I've done today. Woo! Play this, fat, bad boy. Catherine's miming the drums a little bit too aggressively. <laughs> Very mysterious banging going on here. It's got... De- get Dealey on the phone. Get, get Dealey up. He's supposed to be coming on at 10 too. Yeah, exactly. That means he's got a good 20 minutes, 15 to minutes to um, mess around. It's him making the noise. Listen. Well, he's got special powers. Listen. If... He has got special powers, including banging powers. If you can hear me, oh spirit, bang the wall. Oh, maybe it's not Dealey then. No, hang on a minute. How would that prove it was Justin or not? What a ridiculous position to be in. You say ri- you say ridiculous, <laughs> but um, how many series of Most Haunted were there? <laughs> Again. 
<laughs> oh! Is that coming out on air? Yeah, yes, it must be. Can you hear that, Steve? I can hear that. You can hear I the banging? Justin, yeah, I think you got Justin locked in a cupboard. Uh, well, we've tried. He enjoys that a little bit too much. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm suspicious. Oxley, or as we like to call him, Mr Oxley, uh, knows nothing about it. And I believe him. He's an honest, down-to-earth kind of guy. He's I mean, the news. He, he doesn't lie. He's the news. The news cannot lie. Hang on, we're the BBC. The news lies all the time. Uh, what? Uh, but Dealey, I don't trust Dealey in the slightest. That's banging. Stop now. Justin's in the car. It's not him. He's not in this building. No, he's outside. I can see him. Oh, then well. what the flipping <laughs> heck is that? Yes. We oh, need. Come on. We need um, um, a goth or a ghost hunter or Do a priest, aura. a Catholic priest. Hang on a second, Justin. Morning, boss. Where are you? Uh, I'm in the car park. Prove it. Um, would you want me to, to, to beat my horn? Yeah. Can you do that now? Is it 6.30? Yeah, 6.41. There you go, sir. OK, right now, be quiet. I just heard another one. What, this banging? Kells is getting genuinely scared, aren't you, Kelly? I am, because I'm in here on my own. Come on, guys, come on. But Friend- what? Friendly ghosts in the building. Um, our, our radio station was built on an old cemetery. <laughs> and uh, there are ghosts in the building. Absolutely true. Years and years ago, God, we're moving. Yes, on Halloween, what? I had the Ghostbusters live in our studio oh. for a late-night programme, oh. and they did say to me, in the basement, it's it's not where you are right now. We've got, what, three or four floors? Uh, three or four floors? How many, <laughs> was it three or what? four floors we've got? We've got three. three. OK, we've got three floors. In the basement, uh, there are ghosts down there. I went on one of those walks as well. Hmm. We do it every now and again here. Um, <laughs> she said, rolling her eyes. <laughs> it was um, boring. There was nothing going on. Come on, there's yeah, no such thing as ghosts. They only come out to play when they want to. The so, Ghostbusters have been in, right. what, two times? We've got, we've got, a, we've got a, a Meltman on. Steve? Mm. Steve? Hello. Yes. Yeah. Have you ever seen a ghost? Uh, yeah, sort of, yeah. Oh, Steve! Oh, Steve I come thought on. You, you deliver cow juice. I thought you'd be the voice of science and reason. Well, I don't believe they're ghosts. I just think they're Monsters. people in a different dimension. Because <laughs> that, that, that doesn't sound even more mental, does it? <laughs> it's not ghosts. They're, they're people from different dimensions that have somehow crossed over. What did you see, Steve? Well, I come in, I come in years ago and I lived in Plumstead down in Woolwich. I come in my house and as I come in, because it's an old Victorian house, up the top of the stairs I see somebody walk across the top. And then when I'm in the front room, and <laughs> There's nothing to nick. I wouldn't be a burglar. And when I went in the front room, maybe it was in there. So, God knows what it was. I don't know. Did you see it properly, or was it out of the corner of your eye? No, I, it was full on. I was looking well, up the stairs, and I see this thing... Steve, it's obvious what that was. In it was someone from another dimension that somehow crossed over. That's what it was. <laughs> Why do they love stairs so much, your they, ghosts? They do love stairs. They like, like slide down the banisters, like I, we all do. I think you have, a, like, an eternal senior moment, and they're halfway up thinking, what on earth did I <laughs> come up here for? <laughs> Steve, listen, thank you for that. Thank you for joining in. Um, I wait four five nine four double five five double five. If I was a ghost, I'd find better places to hang around, wouldn't you? What, than Steve's house? What, stairs? Yeah, I'd go to, like, Buckingham Palace. Yeah, I'd go. Do. I'd go to the White House. I'd dress up. Yeah, I'd really freak people out. Totally. I don't wrong. think this is a ghost. I think it's a person. Somebody you think it's a murderer? Banging. Yes. J- Justin, what were you saying? I was going to say, if you're a ghost, you can't go hanging around Buck House. You're a ghost from where <laughs> you come <laughs> from. You can't. If, if you're a ghost that, 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 that was here, <laughs> Hastings Street Luton many, many years ago, you, you can't go hanging why, around elsewhere. Why can't you go somewhere else if you're a ghost? What's because the problem? your spirit is where you came from. You can't go on a tour of the UK. <laughs> 
Oh, there's rules, are there? Yeah, them on the bus. Absolutely, of course. Absolutely. Come on, guys. Come on. But, but surely, if you're a ghost, mm-hmm. you can walk through walls. Yeah. Then you can walk to into Buckingham Palace, no, Buckhouse. You, you can walk through the walls of where your spirit came from. So, for example, the ghost this morning, which is in our building, uh, could have come <laughs> from the basement into your studio. I love the me? fact that we're, we're actually having an argument with Justin, and he is convinced that it's a ghost. <laughs> it's not even. That's not even up for debate ghosts for him. Ghosts do exist. No, the I'll just will be there one day. No, absolutely the, true. Justin, go. For goodness sake, oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Can we get some rational people to back me up? Ghosts do not exist, Kelly. I know what it is. Yes, it's uh, approaching summer. Yeah. I think they've they've put the aircon on, and the system's just having there a breakdown. Yeah. The other go. night, something weird happened to me. Oh. Something weird. <laughs> is this, was this the same night? The next morning, you had to make yourself throw up to get rid of your hangover. No, no, it wasn't that. It was a different it was night. A different evening. I was um, driving over around about what's at about uh, eleven o'clock on Sunday evening, oh, going spooky. to get a Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah. And um, <laughs> suddenly, I, I... <laughs> the Colonel came and haunted you. Oh, the Colonel! You're such a bad boy, but I like you. So um, I'm going over this roundabout, and um, I feel like I've actually hit somebody, and and the bang on the car is so so strong and um, there's nothing there and I, I've gone back oh. round the roundabout to check again so you're not sorry you, you ran over a cat and what no no cat no no, dog, no nothing but a, a large bang such a, a big bang such a big jolt that I got out and I thought there's going to be a new dent in my new car yeah. absolutely nothing wow. there at all gosh if ever there was proof needed that ghosts actually exist that wasn't the proof a mystery bang Justin will speak to you in a bit (laughs) Justin Dealey having a mystery bang (laughs) who'd have thought it so what was all the mysterious banging was it a it was builders oh sorry that's coming Uh, was it a ghost it was builders what I mean, you can just ruin the surprise now, or you can okay. stick to the script. Was it the aircon? We know what it was. It was builders. Was it a person who broke into the building? No, it was builders it was next builders. door. It was builders. builders. Although Dealey still wasn't convinced. <laughs> builders. Builders, builders. What, what do you want? Well, talking about ghosts, aren't we, this morning? Because yes. uh, in the first hour of uh, the programme this morning, you were very unhappy. You, you were complaining about uh, bangs in the building. Um, I then went down to the basement. Our building was built on a former cemetery. Um, we have uh, proof that ghosts do exist in our building from the uh-huh. Ghostbusters. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're talking ghosts. And um, I've been out into the streets for you this morning. I've um, got a couple of stories here, Ian, yeah. to, to kind of prove the fact that, that people do believe and people have seen things. Got some audio coming up here. Is ghost story number one? Can I just say, Justin, mm, mm. you talking to um, nut? Uh, sorry, you talking to uh, people in the street mm. is not proof that ghosts exist. Once you've heard these stories, you will believe. Here, it's almost ghost story this morning. What happened to you, sir? I was just seeing a ball, but an orb the size of a football in my room, and it was um, wasn't scared of it, whatever it was. So it was going across the room, right, above your head. Yeah, floating like the size of a football, and you could see through it. And it just vanished into the ceiling. Did you see a face on there at all? Or? No, 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 it just floated away. Besides the football, it was visible, you could see through it basically. What sort of colours? Like rainbow spectrum type of thing. You weren't drunk at the time, were you? No. <laughs> oh, did it scare you? I don't know, young man. Did it scare you? No, it didn't scare me, no. <laughs> made, me, made me believe in the afterlife. It's got to be something else <laughs> out there. <isn't> it? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Justin, <laughs> a scouse fella saw a ball in his room. Yes, yes. Come on, yeah. explain it. Explain it. Come on, then. C- Catherine, Come on, then, uh, Catherine summed up that story excellently. Catherine, what did you say about that story? Um, I said, oh, what was the first guy? What did he see? A ball. He saw a ball. Yes, mm. an orb. You said it's a load of old balls, basically. <laughs> okay, okay, guys. Come on, explain it. 
What, he, what could that have been then? He was drunk. No, he wasn't drunk. He said that. Next. There was a maybe. There was a maybe. There was a ball in his room. No, no ball He's in his room. He's a floater. Have you never had a floater? Uh, yes. In I've your had a eye? No, no. Ask Jonathan, he gets floaters. In his eye? Yeah, no, you get like a dark patch over your eye and You're it's quick. actually something that's on your eyeball. You're quick to dismiss. Why would a ghost come back as a ball? I don't know. I've got no idea. Exactly. I've got no idea on that one, but he knows what he saw. Balls Let's go story number one. Balls can't die. Ian, I am telling you, listen, I, I've been out on many stories for you, OK? To give you an example, uh, we spoke to people this morning about forced marriage. Now, those sort of stories take a long time to come up with. You've got to wait for those stories. When it comes to ghost stories, most people have got them, most people believe. There was story number one. Here is story number two. Somebody else has seen a ghost. What happened to you? I was coming home one night about two in the morning. As I was walking up the stairs, there was a picture of a woman in the window, just like, like looking at me through a mirror, but it weren't, it was a window. When I got up there, there was no one there, but it was a woman. Any ideas who that could have been? Probably someone that lived in the house before me. You're getting goosebumps well, just listening to you. Well, you, you do sort of look back and wonder what, they, what it is, but then you just think it might be a trigger of the mind. But that's the only thing I can suggest, it could have been a ghost. But you know what you saw? Yeah, I know what and I saw. You weren't drunk at the time because you were driving home? Yeah, weren't drunk, definitely weren't drunk. When you saw that face looking at you through the window, um, I know you're a guy, but you can't admit this, w- were you scared? Did you scream? No, didn't scream, just looked amazed, that's all, and then got to the window, looked outside the window, weren't nothing there, and that was it, didn't think no more about it. Wow. And that was about 30 years ago. You still remember it like it was yesterday? Yeah. You do, you don't forget a, a figurine in your head. You know, <laughs> you saw it. it must have been about 80, 90. Really old girl. And we, we believed it might have been somebody that lived in the house. And that was over 30 years ago. You don't well, forget. Thank you, very much. You're right. you don't forget a figurine. <laughs> no, come on, mate. That's weird. Okay, great come stories. On. Where's yep. the Ev? Where's the uh, Ev? There's well, no Ev. Well, the Ev is, is in what they've seen. He's a, some old boy at two o'clock in the morning. He yeah. can barely speak. <laughs> he saw a figurine. Now, come on, Justin. Oh, come on, listen. He, he went into his home. He saw somebody at peering two o'clock in the, the morning. Hmm, yeah, I wonder. I wonder. I wonder. You will be inundated with stories. And um, as I mentioned to you, I had a, a weird bang the other day in my vehicle. And um, my uncle once, actually, many, many years ago, driving down <laughs> the old A41 Hemel, okay, snooks, uh, the last high woman to be hung in this country. <laughs> there is a stone. Okay, <laughs> there is own in the field, okay, which represents where he was hung, and and he was driving home from a disco one night, and he knocks over a man and a horse. He gets out of the vehicle, and there's nothing there. Explain that one to me. Oh, Justin, any respect I may have had for you has completely Why? disappeared These are up your spectrum. genuine stories. Yeah, the genuine stories. Justin Deedy, thank you very much indeed. So Justin's uncle ran over the ghost of Snooks and his horse. We've been talking about diabetics. And according to the mail, well, they're costing us £10 billion a year and it's through a lifestyle choice. Well, let's speak to one of those diabetics now, shall we? It's Bethany in Bedford. Good morning, Bethany. Morning. Bethany, you're costing me £10 billion a year. How does that make you feel? Well, we really can't help it. Yes, you can, Bethany. Can't help it if I'm diagnosed with diabetes, can I? Yes, you can. How? The ill... Let me me read from the Daily Mail, Bethany. The ill... How old are you, by the way? Nine. Okay. The Ill- I'm not letting you off, though. The illness is strongly linked to lifestyle factors, Bethany, such as being overweight or obese. Is that you? No. Too little exercise? No. And an unhealthy diet? No. What did you eat for your supper yesterday? Um, like uh. cheese string. Oh! Ch- cheese string! 
Oh, since when did cheese strings become part of a healthy diet, Bethany? Since they didn't have any sugar in them. What did you have for your lunch? Um, um, can't remember. Chips? Was it chips and pizza? No, pizza, pizza and chips? No. <laughs> Salad. Who's that in the background? My mum. Is she diabetic as well? No. Oh, whole family of diabetics coming over here, stealing no, our no. NHS. When you hear things... When did you find out you had diabetes, Bethany? Um, I think I was three and a half. When you were three and a half? I was, well, I was going to say, so you kind of live with it all your life then, so you've never known anything different? No. How does it affect your life? Well, it's been quite annoying. Yeah, why is it annoying? Because I have to, every time I eat, I have to do this thing where I have to take blood out of myself. What? Ugh. How do you do that? Stick a needle in my finger. Yeah. Gosh, every time you eat? Yeah. Wait, why is that? To get like a sugar reading or something? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and what happens if, uh, what happens if it's bad, if it comes out bad, if you've got bad blood? Then I have to have insulin put into me. Okay. And did you carry the needles for that as well? Yeah. So actually, actually, the Daily Mail, instead of picking on people with diabetes, should be maybe applauding some people with diabetes for being quite brave and having to do something that I certainly wouldn't want to do every day. Yeah. Yeah. Do your friends, do your friends think you're a little bit cool because you have to take blood out of yourself after every meal? Not really. Oh, do they not? No. Are they disgusted by it? Some of them. Yeah, good. Well, the ones that are disgusted by it, do you go and do it in front of them? No. Oh. It's just an idea. It's just an idea. It might yep. put them off. What have you got? What have you got today, Beth? Are you back at school? Yeah. What's what's uh, lessons you got? Well, I've got mm, lots math. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Am I laughing because you've got maths lessons, Bethany? I'm sorry about that. Probably. <laughs> maths lessons. I'm 41 in a month, Bethany. I will never have to have another maths lesson as long as I live. How does that make you feel? I wish I was you. Yeah, you do. I'm living, I'm living the dream life, Bethany, apart from the fact I'm fat and old. Uh, so you got maths. What else have you got? Geography. <laughs> oh, right. OK, wow. This is a tough day for you. Have you got any good lessons? Uh, not really. Oh, man alive. Well, listen, I'm sorry you haven't... You've you got a rubbish day at school. Make the most of it. Um, if there's any chance you could pay back the £10 billion a year that you're costing me, that would be awesome. <laughs> is your, is your, has your mum got a lot of money? Not really. Uh, have you got anything you could sell? Uh, yeah. What, what have you got you could sell? I've got a lot of books. Oh, get rid of the book. Have you got an Xbox or a PlayStation or anything? Yeah. You make me, you make me sick. Is it? What, what, what have you got? Xbox 360. Oh, it's only a 360. No. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, put that on eBay and the money you've got, if you could send it in, uh, in uh, used notes to me, Bethany, that would be awesome. Bethany, you're a good sport. Thank you for calling. Have a good day at school. Thanks. Ta-ta, bye-bye. Bethany there, costing you £10 billion a year. How disgusted does that make you feel? I'm really surprised by the front page of the mail. There'll be people who've just tuned in and wondering why I'm bullying a nine-year-old. There's a point to it. It's the front page of the mail. One in, one in seven hospital patients is diabetic. It's costing the NHS £10 billion a year. You go on to read, and it's not a, oh, isn't this an interesting fact? Isn't this a diabetes epidemic? Mustn't we do something about it? It's quite accusatory. It's pointing the finger. The illness is strongly linked to lifestyle factors, such as being overweight or obese, too little exercise and an unhealthy diet. It already accounts for about 10% of the total NHS budget. 
with most being spent on complications such as amputations and stroke. You dirty diabetics. Shame on you. Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Fair play, we're bullying Justin Dealey. It's bullying at work, girls. What oh, we're doing? It's hilarious. Hey, don't call me in this. Well, you were like, you were giggling. <laughs> it was really funny. What was what were you what were you doing? I was ringing Justin, who was answering, and I was going nothing, and then yeah. hanging up, and he still answered about five times. Oh, are you doing it now? Yeah. He's got white. Nothing. <laughs> it's quite good fun. He answers like it's a brand new person every time. If you, if you see... Justin Dilley's in Milton Keynes. He's by the point. If you see him, go up to him and then just go, nothing, and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> Please. You're right, Just. Lovely to meet you, darling. Yeah, oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. Just, you're right. Yes, yes, yourself. Yeah, who's that you with? Ah, just some uh, listeners coming up to me saying nothing. <laughs> It's bullying in the workplace. No, no. Except you're not, in, nice. you're not in the workplace. You're no. at Milton Keynes, the point. Yes, yes I'm here. Yeah. Uh, I think Scoynes is phoning me. <laughs> oh, Scoynes. Oh, answer it. No, because it's Scoynes. That means he gets a point. What, if, he, if you answer? Shall I answer? All right, I'm, right. Scoynes, I know it's you, so you don't get a point. Oh, I hung up on him by mistake. Nine months after a judge said forced marriage protection order orders needed more teeth, it's feared another girl from Luton has been spirited away by her family. Last August, Bedfordshire police applied for the mother of a girl to be sent to prison for contempt of court after her 16-year-old daughter was forced to marry, despite an FMPO. Well, now police are trying to trace another teenager, 16-year-old Maria Nicolescu, who's been missing for a month. She's been subject to one of these orders in December. Colgit Lally is a solicitor and Luton and deals with cases of forced marriage. Morning, Colgit. Morning, Ian. How common is this? Um, one thing that I'd like to see from the outset is I do believe the law as it exists is perfect. It's about the courts and the judges implementing the law. And I believe that's where the feeling is. Uh, I don't believe that um, forced marriages should be criminalised simply for the fact that it's another pressure on this young person. To criminalise your family is is another horrific thought. Who is going to be the breadwinner? Somebody may lose their job. Um, there's other siblings to worry about. So criminalising, I know that a lot of authorities are in favour of it, but I do believe with the victims that I've spoken to, it's another pressure on the the young person. Do you think if it was if it was made illegal, then that um, the, the the victim would be more reluctant to go to the authorities? Absolutely, I do believe that. Um, they've already got so many pressures, being ostracised from their family and community, and then on top of that, criminalising their family. I, I strongly believe that criminalising it would be a big mistake. I do believe that the law is very um, clean-cut at the it, moment. It's not working, though, is it? Because it, these forced marriage protection orders, they don't seem to be worth the paper that they're printed on. Well, that's just the problem. It's about the courts and the judges implementing those. There are sanctions, and those sanctions should be met by people that... Uh, 
are, are not abiding by these orders. But if, but if one of the sanctions is you're not allowed to move out of the area and then a family moves out of the area, what's the court supposed to do? Well, exactly that. If you're not allowed to move out of the area, there should be a part of the order that says you're not allowed to move out of the area. I think there is, there, is, there is a part of the order, isn't there, in these things that says yeah. you're not allowed to move out of the area. But, but if the family ignores that and goes off to wherever, wherever they go in the world, then it's not working, is it? Well, it's not working because the courts aren't enforcing that. But what, what, is the, what is the court... So I'm, I'm missing something. Maybe I'm not explaining it properly. What, what is the court supposed to do if they say to a family, you have a, a forced marriage protection order, you are not allowed to move, and well, if the family the, then moves, what is the court supposed to do? How is the court supposed to enforce that more? Well, the, the sanction is, if you break a forced marriage protection order, you can ultimately have two years' imprisonment. OK, well, so that's so in place... So why, the... why is that not happening, is the question. Well, because the families are disappearing and they, they can't be found. Well, there should be means to find them. Well, no, 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 but, but no, hang on, it should... But, but Colgit, yeah, yes, there should be means to find them, but if people who have got forced marriage protection orders on them are disobeying them, it proves they don't work. Now, you came on and the first thing you said was, I think the law is perfect as it stands. Well, you've just argued yourself out of that position. It's obviously imperfect. It's imperfect because of the, the... The other thing I said when I first came on was that the courts and the judges aren't enforcing the order. I don't understand, Kilge. If a family has been given an order and told you cannot move out of the area and then they move out of the area, so what, is the court, what is the court supposed to do? I, I do believe that there's a fault there. There is a massive fault. Well, you came on and For said example, it was perfect at the start. Uh, no. Yeah, you it, did. There is, <laughs> I, the, the thing I'm saying is that the law, the way it has been written, is perfect. But it's but Colgit, the, the courts aren't enforcing they it. They are enforcing it, Colgit. They have told they have told families you cannot move out of the area. Okay, families then move out of the area. What more can the court do? Yes, that when they find them, no doubt they'll arrest people. But what more can they do? And that's exactly what I want them to do: is oh. um, arrest them. But it's not being done. You want so you want them. Let me just get this straight. You want the court to enforce. The, to, to put a forced marriage protection order on a family which says you cannot move out of the area, then if and when that family moves out of the area, you want the court to find them and arrest them. That's what you want, is it? Absolutely, yes. That's, that's um, a, a crazy way of thinking. It, it, shows that, it shows that the system we've got at the moment doesn't work. It shows that people are disobeying the order and the rules of the order. So surely, obviously, we need to have something a little bit stricter and stronger. You see, um, I'm being misinterpreted. I feel that... The I've given you quite a few chances all, to explain it. Try again. The, the sanctions that are already in place should be implemented. How? If those people are found, like I said, they should be arrested. No, you're not being misinterpreted because we've, we've got that. But it shows that the order isn't working if people are disobeying the rules of the order. It shows that doesn't work. But why aren't those people being brought to justice? Well, then? they are when they're found and caught. But, but the order is, and as a solicitor, I'm sure you can understand this, the order is you do not leave the area. People are disobeying that order. So that proves that orders do not work.
Now, if the if, court then goes and finds them and arrests them, that's great. I mean, more extra money, extra work. But that, that, that's great. But the, the fact that people are disobeying the order proves, obviously, that the order doesn't work. So criminalising it, um, do you honestly think that um, people will still disregard the order? Sorry? To criminalise yes. forced marriages, yes. do you believe that the people will still disregard the order? No. Well, exactly. It's up to the courts and the judges <laughs> to implement the law as it is. No, but if they're criminalised, they'll be under arrest. Well, there's already means... There's a power of arrest attached to a forced marriage protection order. So if you break it, you will be arrested. But then you have to go and find them and track them down, and they could be anywhere in the world. But, again, criminalising forced marriages, you'd have to do exactly the same process. No, but if, if, if we made it so that if, uh, if I go up to the police and say, look, my mum and dad, have, uh, they want me to go to whatever country uh, and get married to someone I've never met against my will, then if the police had the powers to go and question my mum and dad and then arrest them, then they wouldn't be able to abscond with me, would they? But that's already in place. If you get a forced marriage protection order and then you try to break that order, oh, you will be arrested. But then we have... Uh, I, I, but then, <laughs> then we have the extra um, hassle of trying to find them. Which you would if it was criminalised as well. Why do we have to wait for them to break the order? Why do we have to wait for them to break the order when they, uh, they, they are uh, already doing something wrong? Do you not think, Colgit, that we have a moral responsibility? Let's move away from this, because we're going around in circles. Uh, yeah. Yeah, tell me <laughs> about agree. it. Yeah, tell me about it. You're a solicitor, <laughs> uh, and I'm just a presenter, and I'm confused. Right. Do we not have a moral obligation to protect young girls? Young um, girls who are being uh, abused in as much as they are being forced to marry against their will. It seems crazy to me that that is not Illegal. We protect our children and our young women. Absolutely. Yes, I do. I, I do believe we have a moral obligation, and that's why I believe that the civil courts are better to deal with it. Colgit, uh, we're going to leave it there. Thank you very much indeed. Please, can you stop phoning me saying nothing? OK? I've got the phone ringing right now. That's Bell not boy. us. Yes, it is. Well, it's not. Yes, we're it doing is. the show, mate. Yes. Answer yes. it and find out who it is. OK, hold on. Hello? Nothing. Trying to do a serious report here. And by the way, Scoins is trying to claim one nil over me. That wasn't the, the nah, point. Scoins, he can't win anything. He can't win anything. Certainly can't win at life. Yeah. Uh, well, Justin, listen, I appreciate that. Do you want to get your phone? <sighs> yep. Hello. Nothing. Um, oh, wait, thank you, Justin. We'll speak to you yes. later. Just tell us exactly where you are if people want to um, come and say nothing to you. I'm outside the old Grotty Point here in the new city, new town, call it what you want, uh, Milton Keynes. Come and see me and um, say nothing. Well, we'll get to Ophelia's topic in a second. Catherine, I think we should big up the big news about this podcast. Over to you. The big news about the big podcast is we're going semi-national. Is it that news? No. Are we what? not going semi-national? No, of What's that news? I don't know that. that that's because it's not news. Oh. What She's just it? saying things. Oh. All right, Kels, you tell them the big news about the, the podcast. It was added to a long list of podcast oh. favourites in the Telegraph. Do you want to do it big, now? Big news. I thought you meant old news. Right, OK. Yeah. OK. Do you want to tell us the old news, Kath? 
Um, we were really, really far down in a list, but we're, at least we're on the list. Hey, <gasps> no, don't, because that fella has put these out. Yes, it is. Uh, it, we're in a list. Is it the Times or the Telegraph? Telegraph. <clears throat> we are on the list of the top uh, comedy. No, it doesn't matter. We are in the top comedy podcast, according to the Telegraph. They think this is funny. I know, that was disappointing. Wow. They've obviously not got it. Never mind. Wow. They're going to like this bit. Is the, is the Telegraph the home of Matt? Matt Quirky, Matt the Drawing Quirker. We're yes. in with Matt. No, hey, listen, we, we, are, we are second from last on a very, very long list. But we're in a list with brilliant people. Eddie Izzard is in there. Richard Herring is in there. Loads of big names. Are, I, I'm dead impressed. Name some others. Adam and Joe. Adam and Joe. <gasps> really? Yeah. They're ah. on that list. They're the, so good. The Bugle. The Bugle's a huge one. We're on there. Wow. This is brilliant. This is genuinely this brilliant. Is, I know. Just think what could happen if we made more effort. If we put some effort in Man Alive, we, 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 we would be taken off that list. We'd be literally... Yeah. I want to thank I want to thank the gentleman whose name escapes me now, but I want to thank him for putting us in that list. I, I was genuinely, I was genu- well find it find it before the end of the thing, so you have to carry oh, on looking. It's not my phone. Even though you you you've got the internet there, we'll do that. I tell you what, while you're trying to find that, let's hear from Ophelia. Her story is acts. Oh, it's disgusting. It's the worst story you're ever going to hear. It is horrible until you hear Ken's story. So the story you're going to hear now is the worst story you're ever going to hear. Um, until straight after it when you hear Ken's story, which is even worse. I had a planned operation. It was planned for about six months. Um, following the operation, um, the doctor forgot to write up the prescription or the nurse forgot to discharge me with medication to stop, um, to control infection. As a consequence, when I came to the next stage of um, my treatment at home, my stomach opened up and my intestines came out. Hey, 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 sorry? Yeah. Oh, gosh, I'm so sorry. Four you, days before Christmas. Four, four days before Christmas, you're yeah. sat at home and your stomach opened up and your intestines felt, came oh, out? Well, and then, I could, then what happened was that my clothes started to become wet and I said I felt a bit dizzy. The nurse was here, oh. so I said I'm going to lay down. And just as she looked, um, oh. um, her and my sister saw my stomach opening up. Oh, and it's funny enough, Alien I style. think I felt it so much. <laughs> but then, um, so that resulted in me having How, to go back into hospital. I'm, I'm sorry to laugh, Ophelia. It must have been horrific. How big was the, the hole that opened up in your stomach? Um, it only opened up about three inches. Oh, is that but all? It started to come through. But as, oh, I, mate. as I got up, as I stood up to, when the ambulance came, the weight of my body going down, and I'm a big girl, <laughs> it, it opened up more, so they had to press things. It was really painful, because ever so oh, often, when I got to the hospital, they had to keep pushing. Oh, my intestines and put stuff over it to keep it moist. Oh my gosh! What should have been a three to four week recovery yes. turned out to be a four to five month yeah. recovery because it just it was just what they had to do to contain the infection to stop me from dying more or less was worse. It was just really horrendous. Hospital um, admitted that they were at fault. They forgot to discharge me the medication because they said sorry. I just went through it, but it was very expensive. It cost me a lot of time, a lot of money. And what people don't really add up is the cost on your mental health, your mental well-being, the change of life. How did it affect you mentally then? I felt depressed. I've I've always worked since I was 16. I had a whole plan. I spent Christmas in hospital, didn't get presents for the children because I didn't think, I thought I'd have time. It was... Why get a bit... Ophelia! Four days. Four days. I had a walking frame. Four days before Christmas, and you hadn't bought the children's presents. You like to live dangerously. No, it was. I was going to (laughs) take, give my son the card to go out and get a present, and I just didn't. Okay. And um, um, 
And this is that this was a bit disappointing. No, of course it was. I'm, I'm, I'm teasing you slightly, but this all happened because the the doctor or the nurse failed to give you the yeah, wrong. The doc- she said that well, according to the feedback I got was that they um, the prescription hadn't been written up, which would have been by the doctor. So all the other medications that I got given, the antibiotics wasn't in it. That you... would have controlled um, any infection and the bursting of the. Are you uh, are you going to sue them? No, because the important thing is, Ian, is people giving you answers to what happened. Right. Ah. Saying sorry is the key. And ah. when you get hospitals paying consultants thousands and thousands of pounds to move from one room to another, that's still our money. If they do something wrong and they just can't say, look, we got it wrong, then you, if you don't do that, I'm taking you to court. That's my view. But I guess... But and nobody they... listens unless you talk about money. And they, they don't s- want to hear you unless you yeah. talk about money. You, you, sometimes you have to make that threat, don't you? But it, did, they, did they say sorry to you? Because I would have thought... I got sorry on more than one occasion. I would have thought that hospitals would be reluctant to say sorry because then that's them... It's like you never say sorry when you're involved in a car accident because you're admitting liability and it would be the same for them, wouldn't it? I think it varies who you are. I'm not saying I'm anyone special. But I think if people know the law and people are aware of what should have happened, and also one hospital did the operation, another hospital had to deal with it. So no, they were clear that their liability, it wasn't their liability, right. okay. and making me know it was the other hospitals. And eventually when I had to go back to the other hospital, they were very apologetic. I got letters to that effect. That goes a long way. How's, I, how, how's your tummy now, Ophelia? Uh, much better. Yeah. I can walk, I can do everything. It took me um, about a good eight months to come back to normal because your mind has to tell you that it's oh, okay. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, and that was a hard And thing. just to reiterate, for those who've just tuned in, four days before Christmas, your stomach opened up and your intestines fell out. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Thank you very much for sharing that. No problem. Thanks please. a lot. Wow. Wowzers. There's a sentence I never thought I'd hear. Ken's in Luton. Morning, Ken. Morning, Ian. Now, we've been... Oh, no. I've just seen what he's... We've been asking this morning, after Ophelia called in, her stomach burst open and her intestines fell out, we have been asking, what parts of your body have fallen out of your body? Yes. Tell us your story, but bear in mind we may still have young ears listening. My bowels used to drop out my body when I went to the toilet. And uh, my mum used to have to... Push it back up again. You listening? Yes, I am. Stop laughing, Ian. I'm not laughing. It's a serious condition. It is, especially when you're only eight. Seven or eight, I was. Yes. <clears throat> why, why do you think that happened? Because ever since birth, I used to go in hospital back two or three times a year, and they used to try all different things to stop me losing a lot of blood when I went to the toilet. Yeah. So then I spent seven months in Westminster, and they finally cured it. And uh, So when was the last time your bowel fell out? When I was about... Well, that's well, that's a relief. And doesn't that show just how much mums love their kids? I bet she did that unquestioningly. Oh yes, unquestioningly. It, it wasn't a pretty sight. Ken, just to lighten up a little bit. Yeah. Have you got a poem about one of your ex-girlfriends? Oh yes, we'll give you a poem about one of your girlfriends. Let's have a look. Uh, about uh, Mabel, you've had Joan, you've had Pam, you've had. I've not had them. You had? No. You have. Yes, I went out with a girl named Danny. She took me for all my money. Wasn't Ken's story horrible? 
and yet I felt bad for laughing at him. So you should. I mean, just, wow. You, th- you think you're living a hard life. Imagine the life his mum had to. The thing is, as a parent, you do it. You do it happily. Not happily, I mean, you wouldn't be... Same reason why you catch sick rather than dodge it when you're a parent. Yeah, you do. I mean, sick is still the one thing that um, I struggle with. Poo, not a problem in the slightest, but sick... Are you sure this was on the list for The Telegraph? The, the it doesn't seem podcast, like... I know! He's going to take it off the list now! I found it. It was The Telegraph, and yeah, um, Alex that. let me know about it on Facebook. And uh, Pete Norton, the best That's comedy Pete. podcast. Pete Norton's regularly updated selection of the best... Uh, look, the best comedy podcast, including Eddie Izzard, Frank Skinner, Richard Herring, On The Hour! Jeez, we're number one with On The Hour. David Mitchell. Um, Are you just plugging other people's podcasts now? Yeah, why not? Fair play. Sean yeah. Keaveney, Eddie Izzard, you said it. Richard Herring, Matt Ford. Matt Ford's brilliant. Um, Alex, Horn, Alex Horn is really good. Frank Skinner. And us, listeners living within the Beds, Hearts and Bucks area may already be familiar with the comedian, that's very generous, very generous actually, Ian Lee's wonderfully lively breakfast show on BBC Three Counties. I discovered it via this weekly highlights pod, this, which delivers an hour of merriment, that's me, conversation, that's you, Kath. Mostly. Current affairs, that's me again. Every Friday I'm now a big fan. What? Was I not mentioned? Well, no. And I was being generous giving Kath one of those. To be honest, we all know it's me. But <laughs> Loads of people coming up to me this morning in Milton Keynes, the home of our big tour, just saying, hey, J-Dog, yeah? Nothing. That's beautiful. That is Cheers good. for that. And that is why I love the listeners to this show and everybody who lives in beds, hearts and bucks. Not everybody, but most people. Oh, well, good for them. If you, you've still got another 15 minutes. If you yeah. want to go up to Justin and just go up to him and go, nothing. Yeah. Then uh, your phone's ringing. Do you want to answer that? Yep. Hold on. J-Dog. Nothing. Okay. Tony's in Harlow. Morning, Tony. Hello, Ian. Ever worn the high heel? No, mate, no, no. My feet wouldn't take it. It, 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 I've got so much respect for women. It's torture what they go through. Sure, right, mate. What have you called in about, Tony? Uh, About dressing up. Yes. I um, I used to be a Unigate milkman before the uh, sugar mileage killed them all off. Oh, yeah. And um, I've still got the uniform, the bag... Well, I haven't got an app, but I've got the uniform. Yeah. And my wife, now and again, when she gets excited, likes me to put it on what? and then tell me she can't pay the milk bill and what we're going to do about it. <laughs> Is this for real? Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't, the worst thing about it, and I don't even get a tip at Christmas. You say that again, Tony. I said the worst thing about it, I don't even get a tip at Christmas. <laughs> so, we're doing... <laughs> so describe describe the outfit. For some people won't won't remember the old Unigate uniform. So describe what well, you'd be wearing. Uh, blue and white with a Unigate badge and yeah. blue cuffs. Yeah. Light blue cuffs, and then you've got your your light butcher's apron. Yeah. And is it, it's and like a go. sort of leather satchel, is it, with a strap? Yeah. No, that's a cash bag. Right. Okay. And do you have to? Do you have to? I mean, how far does this role play go? Do you have to knock on the door? <laughs> no, not that bad. But she just... She, I'm, I, I'm, I'm tempted... So much I want to ask, but can't. What does she wear? Not a lot. Hey, How does it go? You you say, all right, love, you owe me £5.28, and, and, and yeah. she says... I can't pay it. So, um, you know, what else can we do? <laughs> I've got to let him go. I've got to let him go. Can we squeeze that into the podcast? <laughs> Little bonus track. 
dearie me. I mean, if this were a late night show, we would then open the phones. What what, what do you dress up in the bedroom? But it's not, so we won't. Did you wear dresses as a kiddie, just? Very occasionally. But then when I was younger, I was always into football kits. I always wanted the latest England kit, the the, the latest Luton Town kit. So for me, it was all about football kits and not dresses. Do you want to get your phone, just? Yeah, Okay. Who is this? Nothing. Uh, what kind of dress did you wear? Mine was like a sort of turquoise, uh, frilly little number. Well, I think it was, yeah, white. It was frilly. I think I borrowed it from my cousin at the time. And I think, you know, to, to go back to, to something somebody mentioned earlier on, they, they were talking about the, the fact they work with young children and young boys if they've got sisters. Sometimes they come in with their handbags and their sisters' dresses. It's just what they do. I'm not getting that. I've had enough of you lot. Can I go now, boss? See you later. And with that, she's gone. That's your lot. Thanks for listening, Pete. You've been listening to the Pete Norton Tribute uh, BBC Three Counties podcast, hosted by me, Ian Lee, and and thank you. Uh, join us next week for more um, uh, merriment, current affairs and bants. Nice one, Pete. Thanks for listening to this free download from BBC Three Counties Radio, your local radio station for beds, hearts and bucks, on FM, AM, digital radio and online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. 